This is the message this morning that I kind of describe as it's the pinnacle of this series. Uh, when, whenever we do a topical series like this, a lot of times the way that series is built is there's one or two things that, that we really want to address, but in order to get to that, or we really want to teach about, in order to get to that, you, you've got other things that, that you've got to lay some groundwork for, you know, um, or you've got to... Um, uh, also teach on so that you can uh, give the right kind of background you need for the maybe some of those topics. And so that's kind of how a series sometimes gets built. Not all the time, but sometimes. And so uh, this is that message for, for me in this series. This is the question that, that kept coming up, the question um, that, that some were asking, the, the thing that some, were re- uh, some of us are wrestling with and, and feel like this is what we need to get across. And so uh, as we kind of looked at that, well, we could do it as a standalone you know, or, hey, there may be more to this. And so if you'll just briefly think about the messages you've seen and heard before this, we've talked about who is God, and we've looked at Him as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about what is the Bible. That's how we, we learn about God. That's how He's revealed Himself to us, the primary way. Uh, we, we then talked about sin for two weeks. This is the problem that's gone on in the world, you know, and, and, and it requires a fixing. It requires a solution. And so this morning, what is a Christian? That, that's where we are this morning. What is a Christian? And, and to me, that's kind of the pinnacle of this series. Now, what I'm not saying, by the way, is that everything from here is downhill. Not saying that, because we got, we got the summer to go through. And then there are some other exciting messages on things like baptism and what is the church and uh, what is the, uh, the evangelism and things like that. But for me, this is, this is the one that's kind of been leading up to. Um, it's been something for, for several years, even before I came here. Um, it, if you work in the Christian world, for any amount of time, you start to understand that most of us really don't understand what a Christian is. We don't know how to articulate it, explain it. Um, we may have some right assumptions about it, some wrong. I worked at a Bible college uh, for six years prior to coming to here, uh, always in the admissions and advising department, and a couple of those years as the director of admissions and advising, which means I was overseeing the recruiters that went out. I was overseeing the people who would uh, admit people into the college. So we were the gateway. And one of the things that we would require uh, at, for admission to a Bible college was that you were required to be a Christian to the extent that we can discern that, right? And so the way that we would go about that is said we would say, tell us your testimony. Tell us how you uh, came to be a Christian. And uh, uh, some of those years, I, I was reading all the ones that I was responsible for, so several hundred of those, hundred of those. And then uh, as I became the director, I became responsible for overseeing that process and training the other recruiters and other admissions advisors how to read those and recognize things. Because what I was finding was, if you're looking for an exact, accurate explanation, you're not going to find it in most cases. And so what I started to train them to do was look for certain things about this topic, this topic, and this topic. And if they say anything about that, we're going to assume they're they're probably a Christian or they're close. Because what I was starting to realize was people in general, we don't know how to explain that. 
And so uh, what I hope this morning is, is to maybe help clarify that. But here's some of the things I would typically see. All common, all common. Uh, when you ask someone, uh, tell me about how you became a Christian. I would get things like this. Um, I was born one. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I, I've, I was just born a Christian. My family's Christian, so I was born Christian. And uh, maybe tacked onto that, I, I grew up going to church. Or, um, you know, I, I have parents who are Christian. Or I attended, when I do attend church, I attend a Christian church. Right? All of these answers would kind of be tucked in there when you ask someone, how, uh, are, you, are you a Christian? Tell me about how you became a Christian. But none of those are the answer. Um, you see, there's other religions, particularly uh, the Jewish religion and the, uh, the Muslim religion. You can be born a Jew and practice the Jewish faith. You can not practice the Jewish faith and still be a Jew. As a Muslim, you can be born a Muslim and practice the Muslim faith. Or you can be born a Muslim and not practice the Muslim faith, but you're still Muslim. Does it work like that for Christianity? Can you be born a Christian and practice the Christian faith? Or can you be born a Christian and choose not to practice the Christian faith, but still be a Christian? Does it work that way? So how would you answer someone if they said, well, what is a Christian? How do you become a Christian? That's the question we're answering this morning. What is a Christian? How do you become one? And I'm going to give it to you up front. A Christian is this. Someone who has been given new spiritual life from God through believing in Jesus. I was going to say Christ, but I don't have it up there. But you could add that if you want. Someone who has been given new spiritual life from God through believing in Jesus. And we're going to bring that back up there at the end. Uh, but a Christian, that's the definition I'm going to work with this morning from the verses that we're going to look at. So we're going to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 15. John chapter 3, 1 through 15. If you need a Bible uh, this morning, uh, there's some Bibles on the chairs there in front of you. If you're using one of those, go to page 1199. 1199. I'll throw that definition up there for a little bit longer while you're looking for page 1199. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 is what we're looking at this morning. All right, let's read that. Now a certain man, a Pharisee, named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must all be born from above. The wind blows where it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus replied, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen. But you people do not accept our testimony. If I have told you people about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, 
the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. All right. So we're going to go back now and walk through some of that and see what's going on. So, um, so far though, John, in his gospel, uh, he's introduced Jesus to us in a way that's completely unique from any other gospel. In the beginning of John, John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's, he's introducing us to this Word. Later on in chapter 1, he tells us, And the Word became flesh. And so now we're tracking and we say, Oh, that must be Jesus. Right? And so we go back to John chapter 1 and see what, what was John saying about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was God. And Jesus was with God. And so he's showing us something about Jesus. And then he explains Jesus came into this world. And he was the light of the world, but the, the world rejected him. Right? And, and so we see now Jesus getting off into his ministry. And in chapter 3, we've got this man named Nicodemus who approaches him. And so here's the first thing we're going to see as we look through verses 1 through 4. When it comes to asking the question, what is a Christian? I'm going to start with one of the things that these verses tell us that it's not. Approving of what is true does not make a Christian. Approving of what is true does not make a Christian. And so here's where we see that. First, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. All right, here's what a Pharisee was. He was a teacher. He, he was someone who was trained in the Bible, in the Old Testament, because that's what they had in that day. He was someone who had schooling in it. He was someone who would be considered an expert on the Old Testament. He could teach it. He could explain it, help people understand how to live that out. They were looked up to as people who were supposed to be living out the things that they've learned. They would have known a lot about the Bible. They would have been able to explain to you some of the prophecies of God. They would have been able to explain to you how God has worked throughout the history of their people. These people would have known their Bible. They would have known the content of their Bible, and they could probably argue circles around anyone who tried to go against them. They had a lot of knowledge. But just knowing the right things does not make a person a Christian. You see, today, there are people who understand the gospel. They don't necessarily believe it, but they understand it. In other words, if you ask someone today, outside of the church, even an atheist can explain to you what the gospel is, if they've heard it enough times. Or if they've read through their Bible, which most, most atheists uh, have done that, if they're being intellectually honest. They can explain to you that the gospel is the Christian belief that Jesus was sent into the world by God and he died for sinners and then rose from the dead and that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. They can recite to you John 3.16 just like you and I can recite John 3.16. People who are outside of the church, people who would not consider themselves Christians, they can still know a lot of things about the Bible. And in fact, the embarrassing thing is a lot of times it's people outside the church people who don't claim to, be, claim to be Christians, who know more about the Bible than what Christians believe. Earlier this week um, on Facebook, um, so take that how you want it, um, there was an uh, article posted about what Christian, uh, non-Christians really think about Christians. And I put it out there, and uh, I also asked some of my non-Christian friends out there, quote friends, because you know, it's Facebook world, I'm not friends with most of them in real life, um, but I asked them, what would you say to these things? And one of the guys who's a... Uh, a chaplain assistant up in Wichita, who is a uh, self-proclaimed agnostic, raised Baptist, okay, parents Baptist, uh, parents were leaders in the church, he grew up conservative Baptist, like if I would have met him in another life, we were on the same page. 
right? Not anymore. And so uh, he weighed in and he made the comment. He says, you know, I would add to this list. I wish there were more Christians that I could sit down and actually have a conversation with about what they believe and that they could explain that to me. Because in his experience, and this would be probably true across the board, most Christians cannot explain what they believe. Most Christians cannot explain things in the Bible. You know, and so that was his frustration. Just having knowledge, though, he could argue circles around most people who would consider themselves Christian about what the Bible said. That doesn't make a person a Christian, though. Just knowing the right things does not make a person a Christian. Nicodemus knew a lot of the right things. In fact, we go on, and you see in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and he says, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So now, not only is he telling Jesus what they know, he's even expressing his approval. You are a teacher from God. Approving of the right things does not make a person a Christian. And so, so here Nicodemus says, he's saying, look, we've seen what you've done. We know that the, the things that you're teaching, they, they sound good. And since you've done these miraculous things, we know no one else can do those miraculous things. So we're kind of putting two and two together, and we agree that you are a teacher from God. He's expressing his agreement, his approval of that. But approving of the right things does not make a person a Christian. Was Jesus a teacher from God? Yes, he was. You and I, uh, we like to approve things, right? But... Just agreeing with something, approving of something, doesn't make a person a Christian. In other words, a, a person can hear the gospel, a person can hear truth from the Bible, and they can say, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can agree with that. But that itself does not make a person a Christian. Yeah, I, yeah, Jesus came, died for, for sinful people, and rose from the dead. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I approve of that message. That does not make a person a Christian. They go on, for no one can perform these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3. So now Jesus is going to respond. And what we find here is that uh, as Nicodemus is coming, he's expressing the right knowledge about Jesus to an extent. He's got it right. You're a teacher from God. He's approving of that. But Jesus starts to explain that becoming a Christian, getting saved, it's not a work of people. It's not something that we do. And so he says, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, so depending on your translation, you have born again. Here's what's going on. The word for above or again in the Greek can be translated either way. And you completely determine it by the context. So if Jesus were to say that word uh, in, in talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is left to, dis, to decide, is he saying again or is he saying above? And the context makes a difference. Now, in this case, uh, what likely is happening is Jesus means above. The reason I, 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 I say that is because if you read through the rest of the Gospel of John and look at that particular word, how it's used, it's translated above. That's the majority of the way it's translated. John uses that word more often to be translated as above than he does again. Plus, as we go on through the, the, uh, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, we see something else happening. So Jesus says, hey, you have to be born from above. In other words, it's not of, it's not of people, it's of God. And, uh, and unless you're born from above, you cannot see the kingdom. You cannot, you cannot see it. And so Nicodemus now, he's going to respond. And here's how we know Nicodemus has misunderstood Jesus. See, because Nicodemus goes, well, how can a man be born when he is old? In other words, Nicodemus is thinking, how can a man be born again? He's understood Jesus to mean be born again instead of born above. 
So Nicodemus is thinking purely physical, whereas Jesus is already on the spiritual level. See, there's two different conversations going on here. And John does this a lot, where he has one word said, but it actually means something else. Right? And so it's almost like there's, there's two things going on here. And you see this. So you've got these two parallel conversations going on. Jesus is saying, you've got to be born from above. It comes from God. And Nicodemus has understood it to be a physical thing, being born again. And you, he goes on and he says, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? So Nicodemus is having this purely physical conversation. Because he's understood Jesus to say, you've got to be born again. Because he's not thinking about the spiritual side of it. Because here's the thing. A good Jew, especially a good Pharisee, they weren't thinking you had to be born from above to enter the kingdom. You just had to be a good Jew to enter the kingdom. If you were a good Jew, physically you obeyed the law, you would go into the kingdom. It wasn't about being born from above or anything like that. It was about how you lived. It was about who you were, your nationality, your ethnicity. You were going to go into the kingdom because you were a good Jew. So here Nicodemus is thinking, I'm already securing my spot in the kingdom. And so Jesus uh, is now saying to him, you've got to be born from above. He's not thinking on that plane. Well, Jesus, how can a man be born again from his mom's womb a second time? That makes no sense. Alright, so now we're going to go further in verses 5 and 8. And here's what, what we're going to find. Being made alive by God through the Holy Spirit is required. So what is a Christian? It's not approving of what is right. And part of being a Christian requires that we are made alive by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is going to go on and explain in verses 5 through 8. So Jesus answers, picking up this conversation, Nicodemus has just said, how can a man be born again from his mom's womb? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. All right. Do you remember in verse 3, right here, where it says, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God? Look at verse 5. Unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John's doing something very specific here. Uh, When Jesus is speaking here, it's very intentional. Being born from above and being born of water and the Spirit are meant to convey the same thing. Just like seeing, not seeing the kingdom of God and not entering the kingdom of God are meant to communicate the same thing. Right? They're just saying it in two different ways. So Jesus starts out and he says, you've got to be born from above. Nicodemus doesn't get it. Okay, let's talk in a way that Nicodemus can understand. Let's be born of water and the Spirit. Now, not born of water, woman's placenta, and born of spirit, new birth. No, because Nicodemus wouldn't have gotten that. Nicodemus would not have been held accountable for that because later on in verse 10, Jesus holds him accountable. You should know about this. How can Nicodemus know about something like that? But water and spirit is something throughout the Old Testament that God has used many times to talk about the way he was going to work in people's lives. So if you want, hold your spot in John and go to the book of Ezekiel. If not, I'm going to have it up here. But Ezekiel chapter 36 Page 985, if you're using the, the Bibles from the chairs there. Verses 25 through 27. Alright, this is just one example in the Old Testament where God talks about water and spirit. Speaking about this day when He is going to act on behalf of His people Israel who have disobeyed Him, He says, I'm, I will sprinkle you with pure water and you will be clean from all your impurities. And I will purify you from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. 
I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will take the initiative and you will obey my statutes and carefully observe my regulations. Okay, that's one example of the Old Testament. Now, this would have been a very well-known one because here Ezekiel's talking about this new covenant that God was going to make with his people Israel. Right? This would have been one of the more popular verses they would have known. Here God, in, this, in these verses, he talks about cleansing his people with water, which would result in their, their being forgiven of sins, and giving them a new spirit. Making them spiritually new by his spirit. So go back to what Jesus was saying in verse 5. Unless a person is born of water and the Spirit. He's looking back to Old Testament things that God has been saying throughout the Old Testament. Hey, there's going to be a day where I'm going to do something here that's going to be completely different. Uh, You're going to be born of me. There's going to be a work that I'm going to do that's going to be completely different. So we go on with this conversation then. And and back in John now. So go back to John. So Jesus says, hey, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit if you want to enter, enter into the kingdom. You've got to be born from God. You've got to be given new spiritual life. And so he looks at verse 7, and, and Jesus says, do not be amazed that I said this to you, that you must be born from above. Why not? Why, why shouldn't Nicodemus be amazed? Now Jesus talks about the wind. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but you don't know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here's what Jesus is doing for Nicodemus. Hey, you've got to be given new spiritual life. And that comes from God. You can't do that. Okay? That, that, that's not something you can just earn your way into and live right. It's got to be given to you from God. And by the way, God's been talking about this for centuries. You've got to be born from above. You've got to be born of water and the Spirit. Why should Nicodemus not be surprised? He said, because look, the way God works is not, not a way that you can understand. It's like the wind. Now, put yourself in you know, um, the, the, the first century... You know, no meteorologists, no radar systems, no, no ability to track the directions of the winds and all that. All right? He says, like the wind. You, you, don't, you, don't hear, you don't know where it's going. You hear its sound it makes, but you can't see it. Right? Um, you don't know where it's going. It, it kind of goes wherever it wants to go. But it's there, and you know it's there. He said, that's the way it is with people who are born from above. That's the way it is as God works through His Spirit. You can't see this happening. Right? You can't see God making someone be born from above. You can't see that. It's like the wind. It goes wherever it wants. It's sovereign. God is sovereign. He, he does whatever He wants. Right? Uh, but you know it's happening because you feel its effects. You and I can't see the wind, but we can see things being blown by the wind. We can feel the wind on our face. Right? And then, again, prior to meteorology days, yeah, you can't tell where it's going. It's not something you can understand and grasp. Being born from above is ultimately not something that you and I can understand or grasp how, how God makes someone spiritually new. Because you and I, we're, we think a lot of times just purely physical. We're like Nicodemus. We're like, Jesus is talking about all the spiritual stuff and we're just what's in front of us. That consumes us. Right? How, how can God be Trinity? We looked at that. Well, we can't grasp that. That's beyond us. It doesn't make sense in our realm, in our world. How can God make someone new? What does that look like? We don't know. We don't see that. Right? We, we can't see that actually taking place. And Jesus says, don't be surprised that I talked about this because God has been talking about doing this for centuries. It's not about approving of the right things. It requires that you be given new spiritual life from God through His Spirit. Uh, you see, um, I'm going to go back to, to verse uh, 5 and 6 here. 
Verse 6, what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Hey, when a person is born into this world, that's physical. Right? It's born of flesh. But what God does is spiritual. What Jesus is talking about is not something physical. So again, he's clarifying what he's saying to Nicodemus. He's trying to help Nicodemus say, no, not born again, born from above. It's a work of God. And it comes out by his spirit where God gives people a new spirit, gives them new spiritual life. All right? So the question you should be asking now, all right, if it's, if it's not about approving the right things, if it's not about knowing the right things, and it requires that a person be given new spiritual life by God through his spirit, well, how does a person get that new spiritual life? How does a person get born from above? God gives new spiritual life to those who believe in Jesus. And it's a good thing you were asking that question because that's the question that Nicodemus asks. He says, how can these things be? In other words, how does this happen? All right, Jesus, if you're supposed to be born from above and it's a, a work of God through His Spirit where you make people spiritually new, how does it happen? H- how can that come about? Verse 10. Jesus, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things? Okay, so here Nicodemus is being held accountable. That's why I said earlier, it, it can't be that when Jesus says born of water and the Spirit, that he means, well, you've got to be born once physically and then born once spiritually. Because Nicodemus wouldn't have been able to reference the Scriptures to find that. But he can reference the Scriptures to find that God works and is going to do a new work where he's going to pour out water and his Spirit and it's going to be a cleansing and renewing work. And Jesus is saying, how can you not understand this? You're a teacher of Israel. You should know these things. Verse 11. I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about uh, what we have seen, but you people, you do not accept our testimony. Twelve, if I have told you people about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Now, the earthly things here is about, um, believe it or not, is about people being born from above. That takes place here, right? It's a spiritual work of God that takes place here. In, in the big picture, it's really very fundamental, it's really very basic in regard to the things of God, the spiritual truths of God. And what Jesus is saying is, if you can't understand this, how a person is born from above, how are you going to understand the things that are heavenly, the things that are to come, things that Jesus would teach his disciples later, that his disciples would carry on and start talking about how Jesus is going to come back, uh, the, the things that take place in heaven, the things that take place in the end. Nicodemus, if you can't understand how God can work in this world, in the heart of a person, when he's already talked about doing that, how are you going to even understand the more heavenly things? No one, verse 13, has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. So Jesus is talking about himself. Look, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's been in heaven, come down here, and he's going back. So that leads him to say this. Nicodemus, think about your Old Testament scriptures. Think about the stories of your people. Jesus, uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You can find that story in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Here's what happened in that, 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 uh, that story there. Israel being led out of Egypt. Remember they were enslaved for, for some 400 years. And now Moses is leading them through the wilderness. Along the way, they start to grumble. Moses, why'd you lead us out here? We would have been better off in Egypt. At least we had meat there. At least we had food. They're grumbling. So God send some serpents, venomous serpents, to bite them, kill them, lots of them. All right, so as this is happening, um, you can chew on that later. Um, After this is happening, 
Uh, God says to Moses, now what I want you to do is I want you to make this bronze serpent. And I want you to put on a pole and, and put that pole up. And then tell all the people, if you want to be healed, if you want to be saved from the bite of that snake, you need to look at this serpent and believe and trust God. And so everyone who did that, as Moses lifted up the serpent, he held it up, put it up so everybody could see, if they looked upon the serpent and they believed, they were healed. Now, Jesus is taking this story and he's saying it's just like that. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent, uh, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent so that people could see it, so Jesus has to be raised. And then just as that serpent was raised, lifted up, and just as Jesus is going to be raised, lifted up, anyone who looks upon Him, anyone who believes in Him, will be healed. Or in Jesus' words, will have eternal life. Nicodemus, it's just like that, that story that you know so well. That's what happens. How do you become a Christian? How do you get that new spiritual life? You've got to be born from above. You've got to be given new spiritual life from God. And the way you get that is through believing in Jesus. So, what is a Christian? Someone who has been given new spiritual life from God through believing in Jesus. Now, we have an obstacle to overcome where we live. Uh, I don't know if we're technically considered the Bible Belt, but we are pretty close. And even if we're not technically in what they call the Bible Belt, you know, these, these, these states that are kind of in the south and, and, and along all the way up to Tennessee or so of the United States, um, that uh, really have just been really strong in uh, Christianity and the Bible, uh, and really it's become a cultural thing, so too there are communities. So even if Oklahoma technically is in the Bible Belt, and I, I'm not real sure if that is true or not, uh, we still live in a community that is primarily considered culturally Christian. Right? It's still more common to be culturally Christian than it is anything else. And that's true of small towns. That's true uh, of, of large cities, depending on where they are. The challenge in those kind of cultures is that lots of people think they are Christian because of what I was telling you at the beginning. I was born into it. Parents were Christian. Well, I go to the Christian church, you know. But none of those make a Christian. All of those things, man, that's good if you have parents that are Christian. That's great, right? It's good if you go to the Christian uh, Christian church. That is fantastic, you know? All of those things, though, they don't make a Christian. Because it's not like the Jewish faith. It's not like the Muslim faith. You cannot be born a Christian. You, just like you can be born a Jew or a Muslim. You cannot be born a Christian. A Christian is someone who is made. A Christian is someone who is given new spiritual life by God. And the only way to get that new spiritual life is through believing in Jesus. So here's my fear. We have a lot of people all across the Bible Belt, all those states, all those churches, sitting in churches thinking they are Christian because of one of those reasons or another one. Born into it, always been attending the Christian church, um, you know, parents were Christian, parents before them were Christian, right? Or I generally follow that line of thinking, the Christian thought. But none of those makes a Christian. Here's the question we need to be asking. Do you have new spiritual life? Have you been made new by God? 
See, we can ask them, have you believed in Jesus? And that's part of it. Have you believed in Jesus? Well, yeah, I went forward. Yeah, I raised my hand. Okay, have you been given new spiritual life? You see, because the other thing that, that is, is a challenge for us, and these techniques, by the way, that I'm about to throw out, not bad. God uses lots of different things. But there are lots of people who can very easily get um, deceive themselves into thinking, well, I, I raised my hand when I was at summer camp. Or uh, I went for it when I was at that men's retreat. Or I went to the, the Billy Graham crusade and I, I raised my hand and I went for it and I talked to someone. And you know what? God uses those things. He can. He can use any kind of thing that he wants to use there. But just because you did that doesn't necessarily mean something took place in here. Okay, so you and I have to be more discerning. You and I have to help others to be more discerning. And so when I hear someone say, yeah, I was five years old and I placed my trust in Christ at a summer camp, I'm going, okay, well, let's talk more about that. Right? And so then I start to look for things. Because here's, here's, here's the, the thing. My uh, six, seven-year-old now, seven-year-old asked me a year or so ago, you know, she's been asking to be baptized for a while, and we're saying, hold on, let's, let's wait. It's not, we don't need to rush this. Because we want to make sure, you know, you can give me the right answers all day long. I mean, she, she can't. She can parrot me. She can parrot you. You know, she's got good teachers here that she knows how to mimic, right? So I'm not fooled by that because here's what I'm looking for. One of the things that the Bible tells us that we can look for is that does someone demonstrate newness of life? I'm not looking for perfection. And look, I'm not even looking that it's happening all the time, but I'm looking like, are you showing in your life evidence that there is a new heart in there? That God has made you spiritually alive? Or are you just giving me words? I'm looking for your heart in this, right? If I'm talking to someone, I'm looking for what's your life pattern be, uh, look like. Now, I'm not going to put all my weight in that uh, because I cannot discern as a human what's going on in your heart. That's between you and the Lord and really ultimately the Lord. But I'm going to look for those kind of things. And, and, if, and if I see in your life or in someone's life a pattern that is characterized primarily by sin, not a new life, I'm going to question whether or not back when you were five, you really did genuinely place your trust in Christ. I, I'm not going to just give it to you, in other words, because that would not be a service to you. That would not be loving you. In other words, I'm going to start explaining the gospel to you again. And I do that all the time. When I was at the college, did it all the time. I'd read through these testimonies, and I'd get them in for an interview, and I'm like, all right, let's tell me about being born a Christian. And I'd get them talking. And sometimes I'd start to try to draw things out. If I heard them say, you know, well, I, I, I went to this church. Okay, tell me what you heard. Remember hearing at this church. What did you hear taught? Was there ever a point where you heard the gospel? Can you tell me what the gospel is? Right? I start to ask questions because just because someone says to me, to you, just because you or I say, I went forward, raised my hand. Yes, I've trusted in Jesus. We know that language. And the challenge for us in the Bible Belt is to get beyond that language. Okay, good. Do I see in you, do you see in you evidence of new spiritual life? Because if you walk around, you can walk around all day long, your whole life, saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I've placed my trust in Jesus. But if you've never been given new spiritual life, you are not a Christian. And we've got lots of people in churches across all America thinking that they are genuinely Christians because of things like that. But have they been made spiritually new? Which is a work only God does when we believe in Jesus. So you can say it all day long, but if it hasn't genuinely happened, which is why you'll hear me say a lot of times, if I lead you in a prayer, 
which I don't do all the time. It's one of many techniques that can work, right? And, and so when I do lead it, like yesterday, say at the fishing derby, you'll hear me say things like, this is a good way to express what's in your heart. A prayer does not save you. It's not the prayer that you pray that saves a person, that, 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 that makes God uh, give them new spiritual life. It's, it's really all you're doing in that prayer is expressing what's here. And so to the extent that you or I or anybody prays a prayer and it's genuinely expressing what's in here, in other words, if genuinely you are believing in Jesus and that prayer is your expression, then boom, God's made you alive. But lots of people have prayed that prayer. Maybe many of you have prayed that prayer five or six times in your life. Right? You did it when you were a kid and then you got off track and you prayed it again later and then you, you know, went to a men's or a women's event and you prayed it again. It's not the prayer. It's, we're not, you know, we're, we're not reciting some magical incantation. A prayer is a means by which we express belief. What's in our heart. And so whether you pray that prayer or not, if you genuinely believe in the moment you do that, God makes you new. Gives you new spiritual life. If you've never done that, here's what I would say to you. You need to look at your life and ask this question. Do I see differences in me? Not perfection. Do I see that I'm growing uh, in, in my relationship with the Lord? Are there things in me that if I were to look back, I can say, man, I used to deal with that, but now it looks different. I don't deal with it as much. Or are there, are there desires in you that are growing for the Lord? Right? Are there, are there things in you that you say, you know, I used to desire this. It was of the world. It's sinful. But now I no longer desire it as much. Instead, I, I desire the Lord. Do you find that you have a desire to be closer to the Lord? Look for things like that. You know, but again, you've got to hold it in tension because here's the challenge, right? What we contend to do is, oh, well, I don't see evidence in your life that you're a believer, so you must not be. And then we consider ourselves fruit inspectors. That's not our role. We're not here to judge. We're not here to condemn. Jesus did not come the first time to judge the world, but to save the world. He'll come back again later to judge it. You and I are not responsible for being fruit inspectors. But the Bible does teach us that's one of the ways that you can see evidence of a person being born new, being made alive. Paul says it all the time when he says to the churches he's writing to, uh, yes, you will be uh, with God if you continue in the faith. That's not Paul saying you're going to lose your salvation. That's a couple weeks from now. But that's, actually that's next week. But that's Paul saying, I don't know your heart. So to the extent that you genuinely believe, yes, uh, you will be with Christ in the end. How will you know if you genuinely believe? Well, you're going to continue to the end in the faith. You're not going to fall away at some point. But that's next week. Have you been given new spiritual life? That's the question we need to ask. Maybe we need to change the way we speak about it to people because our, our phrasing is, have you trusted in Jesus? Start there. Dig deeper. Dig deeper. Tell me about that. What does that look like? Have you? Have, uh, what's changed for you since you did that? Now with our kids, parents, grandparents, um, and this is true really of any age, but especially so with kids. Okay, they place their trust in Christ five, six. It may very well be genuine. I'm not discounting that. Okay, uh, it's it's very possible my seven year old daughter placed her trust in Christ back at five. But what I'm doing with her is I'm continually preaching the gospel to her. I'm continually pointing that to her. I'm continually praying that over her out loud when she hears it to where she says, Dad, I already did that. Okay, well, good. But I'm going to continue to pray that God will help you to understand that. right? And what I'm looking for is, do I see evidences in her life? Do I see things changing? And there are times where I look at her and go, yeah. There are times I'm going, nope. 
But you know what? That's true of all of us, isn't it? If any one of us were to hold up a, a mirror and watch our lives, there are times where we'd say, yeah, I can see a difference. And then there are other areas in our lives where we're going, nope. That's why I said you've got to hold it in tension. But you've got to continuously preach the gospel to your kids. Those of you in kids' ministry, you do a great job here. But that's what it is. Just because a kid goes forward at VBS next week, don't rest assured. I mean, don't just like step back and say, well, at least they're in heaven. No, continuously preach the gospel to that kid, to that grandkid. Continuously point them to Christ. Continuously model that for them. Don't just step back and say, well, God's got them now. It's not. Okay, so being a Christian, someone who has been given new spiritual life from God through believing in Jesus. Do you have new spiritual life? It's the question I'm going to leave you with this morning. Do you have new spiritual life? Father, how gracious you are to us. To do something like this that we don't understand, that we wouldn't even know that we need unless you had told us we needed that. Which is why we thank you for your word. Which is why we thank you for Jesus coming and revealing that to us. Because we can all identify there's something wrong. There's something amiss that, that, that we're not quite right. But were it not for you sending Jesus and revealing through you the word, through the scriptures, that here is the problem. Sin separates us from you. And there's a need for us to be made alive because sin has had its impact on us and we are all spiritually dead. We can't make ourselves alive. It's something that comes from above something that you alone do when we look upon Jesus and believe. So God, I pray first this morning that there's some here who uh, maybe they've deceived themselves. Maybe that one of their answers has been, I'm a Christian because I was born into it or I grew up in it or my parents were. God, would you let your spirit open their hearts this morning to see that that doesn't make a Christian. But instead, they need new spiritual life. Would you help them understand that this morning? Uh, that their need is, is great and that you have met it in your great love when you sent Christ to die for us and rise from the dead. And you don't require us to perform like Nicodemus and all of his friends thought that just being a good Jew, just being a good person gets in. God, that doesn't do it. Instead, what you say is, trust in my son. He did it. You believe in him. God, we thank you that you have in your sovereignty chosen to just give us new life, make us new. And then you don't leave us there, but you continue to work on us and grow us so that we're not as we used to be. Father, I pray that this morning. And help us all as we talk to others. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment to, to, to know the questions to ask, the words to use, to help people get beyond just the barrier of languages that we hide behind and don't even know it. What a great gift it is to be called a Christian, a little Christ a follower of Christ. And let us not take it for granted or cheapen it to be something where we say, yeah, you're just born into it. Thank you for your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you're uh, able, please stand. We'll go ahead and dismiss. If you have questions along the way, please, as always, I, I haven't extended this in a while, but some of you do take me up on it. Feel free to shoot your emails, call me, text me, and love to visit about stuff. God is so good that he doesn't leave us as spiritually dead. Instead, he makes us alive through his son. So go out of here and be those people who are made alive and tell others.
about life. Do it in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.